The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, you good? You re- glad to be out of the house? I kind of like the snow days, but man, I'm kind of glad when they're done. Uh, you know, because we don't have to deal with a lot of snow here, so we get to enjoy the fun part, like going to the store and getting more bacon than we need, and all that's fun stuff, you know. It's funny, on I go and I get bacon, pancakes, biscuits, you know, all the stuff you can't eat normally, but you're like, it's snowing, so it, it doesn't count. Um, but yesterday, I was with a group of people that I got to give a shout out to that we burned off all the calories we could use yesterday. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, those of you who helped come up and shovel the ice off of the, the parking lot. I am so grateful for you. If you notice, remember last week I talked about the fishing questions? I got called out. I did a fishing question on Facebook. I was like, hey, if anybody's got a shovel I could borrow uh, to shovel the parking lot. And then a bunch of you brought shovels, and then you helped run them. So it was awesome. So it was good. That's, how you, that's, that's fishing at its finest. But um, no, thank you. On your way out, though, I'm told be careful because, uh, you know, we're just heating it up in here. Um, so the ice is sliding off the building. And if you've seen Christmas Story, you know, those icicles can kill people, you know. So just be careful um, and uh, be safe and all that. So thank you. The whole time that we were shoveling yesterday, there was one thought that kept just keeping me going. There was one place. And you know, you know when you get into that moment, you go to your happy place? Yeah, this is it. I was like, oh, I was like, I'm sitting on a beach far away. The weather is 85. It's perfect. And uh, I'm getting ready to just take a nap under a cabana and I can hear the waves. And then I'm uh, disrupted because I'm hearing the. (laughs) So then you go back to your happy place. But it won't be long until um, we get good weather. Like Tuesday, it's supposed to be in the 70s, right? So, yeah. And then Wednesday, I think maybe another snowstorm coming in. I don't know. Welcome to Texas. But uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time, uh, like Pastor Tammy said, there's one of those connect cards in your, in your seat back. If you'd fill that out, we'd love to get some information from you and help you out with, with finding a church and who we are. Uh, there's a couple things I want to I wanna catch you up on, do some housekeeping things. Uh, last week, we finished our series on the Go Initiative. This is, a, this is a culture change. This isn't just a 2015 vision series. This is a culture change for for the life here at the creek, and, and it's about us going because God has called every one of us and given every one of us a mission and a ministry, and if you were here last week and filled out a card, uh, let me say thank you. I was completely overwhelmed. Our staff is overwhelmed. We did not expect that response, and uh, so we are going through those, and we're, we're trying to get everything. I told you we want to do it slow. We want the right structure, and so uh, last week was just overwhelming to the structure. So thank you, um, because here's what that means. You're ready to step out and do what God's called you to do. He's given so many ministries. So we are pairing those up, and uh, we're, we've got our first training March 22nd at, at this facility, and uh, we're going to help launch some leaders. So uh, we will be contacting you. Our staff will be contacting you, and we're getting all that put together. If you missed last week and didn't get to fill out one of those cards, about a ministry that God's laying on your heart. Uh, those are going to, the ushers are going to have those at the end of the service on your way out. You can just drop that in the giving station, which is at the back, and we will add that to the... We've got a stack. I mean, here's, I expected maybe 10 cards, but we have a stack. And so that means... Here's what that translates to. There's going to be incredible impact in our community with the ministries God's called you to do. 
I'm looking forward to that. I'm so excited about that. One, one big thing I want to bring to your radar is Easter. April 4th is Spring Spectacular, and that's the day we just we, we go huge. And April 5th is Easter. So uh, last weekend I watched the Daytona 500 because I do like NASCAR. Um, and then a couple weeks before that I watched the Super Bowl. In the fall I watched the World Series. You know, Stanley Cup's coming in, in, in June. NBA Finals, all of those things, that's like the big deal. NASCAR, I like NASCAR because they get the big one first. It's like eating dessert before dinner. The biggest race of the year is the Daytona 500, and, and I love the Daytona 500. I say all that to say this. Easter for the church, it's our Daytona 500. It's our Super Bowl. It's our World Series. It's the Stanley Cup. It is the NBA Finals. It, it, whatever sporting event, it, it's, it's the, well, I don't even know what the PGA tournament would be. I, I, I don't watch golf. I'm sorry. Um, I have no trouble sleeping on Sunday afternoons. I don't have to have the aid of golf for that. But uh, for church, this is the biggest opportunity that we have throughout the year to share the gospel with people which means there are people that will come to church on Easter that maybe will not come to church any other time of year. Or they might come, I call them CEOs, Christmas, Easter, and one other. Um, or, or some pastors call them the, the lily and the, the poinsettia. They'll come at Christmas and Easter. But here's the reality. We have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. So on Saturday, what we do is Spring Spectacular. We've got from, from 10 to 1, we're going to be transforming the outside of this facility into to games, bounce houses, food. The whole vision for that event, just so you know, is to say to our community, we love you. Just come in, let us love on you. Let us, let us have some fun together. And the secondary vision for that actually is there's a lot of candy that will be given out as we want to tank your kids up so much with sugar that they're going to have to come down from that high to have their Easter candy. It's that's, that's, that's my goal, you know, because my kids are older, so you can, we'll tank them up and you can take them home. But here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for, for you to, to, to engage in helping us in serving at the Spring Spectacular and Easter services because it is going to be insane. And I, I know this is a great opportunity. So we've got games, there's cooking, there's all kinds of stuff for Spring Spectacular that we can help you with. We are going to need extra ushers, greeters, parking team is going to be vital for Easter to help people get in and out of parking spots. So I'm asking you uh, to help engage with this. And if you're willing to help Easter weekend, then grab that connect card, write your name and a way for us to contact you on the front. On the back, check serving and put either Spring Spectacular or Easter and, and we will get in contact with you and we will help you. There will be training. There will be all kinds of stuff for us to help you engage with that. And so I'm looking forward to, to that and what that means and what that weekend is. Let me help you with our Easter services. We've already said our Easter services. We have four services on Easter. Here's the way they're going to roll. Saturday night at 6 o'clock, we're doing a service. Uh, so if, if Sunday's not convenient for you, um, and, and here's what I'm asking for our core team, for our core team, you know who you are. I'm asking if you'll come to that Saturday night at 6 o'clock because here's what that's going to do. That's going to free up space in the prime services, which are going to be our, our, 10, uh, our um, 9 and 1040 service on Sunday morning. So I'm asking you if you can come to su- Saturday night, and then if you would, come and serve at one of those services on Sunday morning. Or if you could come to the Sunday morning 8 o'clock service, we're going to have three services on Sunday, 8, 9, 15, and 10, 40. 
And, and just to let you know that the, the 915 and 1040 will be, will be full. The 1040, I'm really, I'm already worried about that one. So I'm asking for our core, for you to help. If you would engage and help us that weekend, that would be a tremendous benefit and a blessing. And, and here's the reality. Your fingerprints go on lives that are changed that weekend because we see salvations on Easter. We see lives changed because that is our mission. We want to see them changed by the message of the gospel, and that's only the power of God. So um, engage with us, help us love people, make Jesus clear. So uh, let's go on. If you got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 6. Um, we have been out of the series of Romans for several weeks, doing our uh, vision series and our Go initiative. And Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up. So if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Write your name in it so we can get it to you if you forget it. If you're missing a Bible, we might have it at the Welcome Center. I know there are several in there. Uh, we, we returned a few to their owners last week. But if, if you need a Bible, there's some there. Or if you have a smartphone, an iPad, whatever kind of Wi-Fi. If you can get on the interweb with your smart thing, then you can go to Uversion. It's a free app, and you can follow along on that. So Romans chapter 6. Uh, what we're doing with, through the book of Romans, we're actually going through verse by verse, and we're breaking down the chapters into sections and series so we can, we can kind of track through the thought process of Paul as he's written this letter. And we're starting a new series today called Identification. We launched the, the book of Romans with uh, In the Dark, and where Paul writes in this letter, he talks about how dark it is with our situation, and then the light starts dawning, and, and we go through the process of illumination. Today, we're starting identification because what he's doing is he's kind of changing gears. We're stepping into uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8 is this series, and I've got to say, this is very difficult to work through. And so we're going to work through this together. The passage alone we're doing today could have its own six-week series. But let me recap for you so you can, can understand. And if you've missed it, you can go back and listen to the podcast and catch up. But in chapter 5, Paul goes through this thought of, of death in Adam and life in Christ. And he's really boiling it down to say, look, God looks at the world and he sees two people. He's going to see those who are in Adam or those who are in Christ. Now we know that we are born, we are in Adam, and because of Adam's sin, we are all born broken. None of us are perfect. None of us have the ability to get to God. None of us have the ability to live righteous. Paul said there is no one righteous, not one. And we're all in the same situation because we're born in Adam. We're born a mess. But through the grace of God, Jesus endured the cross he was crucified, he was laid in a tomb, and he was resurrected on Easter Sunday. Because of that, when we put our faith in him, we can have a new life. And because of that new life, which means we are no longer in Adam, we are in Christ. And God sees us as in Adam or in Christ. And he's starting to really help them understand this identity situation. Now, when you, when you start tracking through this and understanding this, this letter was written to the first century Christians in Rome. When we study Scripture, there's a couple things we have to do. We have to understand that it was written to an original audience, that there's an understanding that we have to come to first of what did it mean there and then. And because it is the timeless Word of God and it is His truth and it has the power to bring salvation to us today and change our life today, there's, there's a, a bridge we cross to get to, okay, what does this mean here and now? 
because of studying this scripture, how do I walk out of this time different? And to understand that, Paul's original audience was first century Christians living in Rome. The church is in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And, and how these Christians would have come about was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were God-fearing Jews from all nations. There would have been Jews from Rome visiting Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, what happens is, is the, the, the apostles step out under the power of the Holy Spirit and they're preaching the gospel and they're, they're preaching the gospel and all these people from all of these nations are hearing it in their native language. And there are 3,000 that we see get saved that day. Now, those 3,000, if there were God-fearing people from, uh, God-fearing Jews from all nations had come in, they're going to go home at some point. Some of those went home to Rome, and because of this life, because of the gospel, because of the power of God, we cannot help but share it with the world around us. And so they would have started talking to people. They would have talked to, to their neighbors. They would have talked about it in the synagogues. They would have talked about it in the marketplace. And there would have been a result of lives being changed. And so you've got these people whose lives are changed, but they don't really understand what it means to live this life. And so Paul is helping them understand. The same thing with us. We're going to study this. And th- this letter to the first century Christians in Rome is going to help us understand more about grace today. More about who we are in Christ, because we're either in Adam or in Christ. And we need to understand what grace means in, in all of that. So uh, Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to start reading in verse 1. Um, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, let let me help you understand, because Paul's really, he's posing an argument. He's giving an argument, and then he's going to come back and answer it and kind of explain why we can't do this. He's saying, should we continue in sin because grace is abundant? The more we sin, there's more grace. Paul's saying that's not the case. You see, the effect of grace is life and death. Paul said, how can we go on sinning when we have died to it? Here's what I know about myself. Here's what I know about people. We are sin factories. I don't even have to try and I can sin. You put me in traffic, it just comes out automatically. I mean, I'm just just being honest with you. And Friday, oh my goodness. I I just think that four-wheel drive needs to be standard on cars. There shouldn't even be cars. Okay, we should all drive trucks. I mean, Henry Ford, his vision was everybody drive the same thing, right? Now, mine needs to be a little bit taller than everybody else because I I just got to have big wheels on everything I've got. Um, But Friday was a test of patience. And and I know I sinned multiple times in a 45-minute drive that should have taken 10 minutes. But that's all right. But I don't continue doing that because there's grace. I don't say, God... Here's what's going to happen. I'm on the road, so I need you to turn on the grace spigot because the sin factory is in overtime. That's not the case. That's not what Paul is saying. He says, you've died. How can you continue to live in something you're dead to? Here's what I I know about uh, the cross of Christ. And if you've you've never read uh, this man, his name is Watchman Nee. And he wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. And, and he actually breaks down Romans 6, 7, and 8. And it, 
if you're looking for something to read, I highly recommend it. But he deals with the principle in this concept of the, the, the life and death effect of grace. He says that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross at Calvary deals with the sin. So all the sin that I have the ability to produce, the blood of Christ deals with that and has dealt with that. Past, present, future. But then he takes it a step further and he says, but the cross of Christ deals with the sinner. What he does is he, he's, he's dealt with my sin, but because of my grace experience that he's dealt with me, how can I continue to live in something that I have died to that through the cross of Christ, I have died with him. And so what happens is, in, in grace, the life and death is this. We die to sin in our old life, and we're raised to walk in a new life in Christ. You see, grace calls us to die. Jesus calls us to die. He says, if any man's going to follow me, he's got to take up his cross. Okay, to take up your cross in that culture meant it's a call to die. Jesus said no man can save his life by keeping it. We've got to lose our life. And so we start thinking, what does this mean? That there has to be a death involved with grace. But because of it, God's grace and his incredible power and love for us is there's new life. So when I emerge from grace, I emerge from death to life. And so he deals with the sin and he deals with the sinner. See, we like to, we like to do this thing with grace uh, where Paul says, should we go on sinning because of grace? No. Uh, I, I believe that we like to polarize arguments. We like to have a, a, an extreme of each side and we like to debate those things. Just watch any news channel. I don't care what your flavor of news channel is. But they're going to they're gonna polarize everything and they're going to debate it till you're blue in the face and you finally change the channel. But we like to do that. I believe we do that with grace as well. And I, I think the way we see this with grace is, um, let's take, for example, what we might have been in bondage of and then grace frees us, that we are no longer slaves to sin, that grace has given us freedom, we've been made new, and so that old self is dead. What we do is we start to create such boundaries around the behaviors of our old life, and we start to impose them on everyone around us. And if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard this referred to as legalism. And legalism plays out in so many different ways. In the 60s, it was, it was Christians shouldn't dance. Now, here's my philosophy on that. There are some of you that should not dance, okay? I have seen enough Facebook and I've seen enough YouTube. I am counted among those that should not dance, okay? I just don't, I, I, I can't do it. I can chair dance, which means I can sit in a chair and I can get the upper half of my body working. I'm like, this is pretty cool. But if I try to put the bottom half, I mean, I feel like Steve Martin and the jerk. I'm just like, you know, I just can't do it. You know, and then, and then, you know, R-rated movies. You can't go see R-rated movies. And we create these legalistic laws and rules around this. Yeah, and so we, we start to impose those rules on everything else. And, and then there's the other side of the spectrum that we tend to, and if you've been in legalism, 
and you've raised, been raised in church and legalism has been driven into you, you'll, you'll tend to do this because we all do it. We tend to swing to the other side and that's license. That because of grace, I can do anything I want. That God's grace has been poured out on me and he's covered all my sin, past, present, future, so I am free to do whatever I want. So sin factory, keep producing. That's an abuse of grace. And what will happen is we'll abuse it so much that we'll come under the discipline of the Holy Spirit and then we'll actually go, we'll have a tendency to swing back into legalism. Well, we've got to find some balance here. Here's a filter that with grace that, that I would say to use. Pray about this. Is what I'm doing giving glory and honor to God? I can tell you that my dancing in no way gives glory and honor to God. Does the activity I engage in, does this glorify and honor God? If it doesn't, don't do it. And so Paul's saying, there's something in you that is dead. And it doesn't feed the motive of your former self. And grace changes that motive. Grace also changes our identity. Let's go on, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. So if you're, you're not in Adam, you're in Christ, and you're now in Christ, grace changes our identity. And we draw a lot of identity from the people we associate with, the people we hang around with. And we draw that identity because of association. Um, there are many times in my life, that I didn't do it, but I'm guilty by association. And this is one of those awesome opportunities that I get to say, I'm innocent by association. Because of the blood of Christ and my association with Him, grace has changed my identity, and I'm, I'm now associated with Him in this life. And he gives, Paul gives this beautiful picture of baptism to symbolize this. When we, when we baptize, we, use, we, we do water baptism or dunking or immersion. And, and we do it in city of Fort Worth water, and there's nothing holy about that water. And there's, there, it, it, We're celebrating the symbolism of what's already happened. See, when, when this, the, what the baptism that Paul is referring to is the baptism that happens with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the church. You see, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, you must be reborn in order to inherit eternal life. Well, this reborn process, that's the life and death of grace, that our old self dies and that the spirit gives birth to spirit and life forms within us. 
And, and what happens in that is a beautiful thing that we are no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ. It's a DNA change. It, it, we are completely new. And the Holy Spirit then takes up residence in our life. In Ephesians 4, it says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. He puts a stamp on us and says, you are mine. You are in Christ. You are mine. And we're made a part of the church. We're made a part of the body. And, and we now belong to Christ and he is the head. And what this symbolism means is, is, is we've been, we, we are associated with him in death and we're associated with him in life. But we don't just associate with Christ in death because when we baptize, we'll, 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 we'll dunk you under. And when you go under, we'll say, you're buried with Christ in baptism. I mean, you're buried with Christ in death. But we don't leave you down. Here's a funny story. I was, when I was a youth pastor, um, we did the pre-baptism counseling. And, and I was baptizing a teenage boy. And his mom was there, and I said, I'm just joking. I said, how long do you want me to hold him under? And she looked at me with all seriousness, and she goes, till the bubbles stop. <laughs> I was like, man, you're kind of scaring me. I don't know whether I should laugh or call CPS. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to hold him down that long. But eventually, we are going to pull you up out of that water. And when we pull you up out of that water, we say, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. See, the association we have with, with Jesus isn't just in his death because he's not in the tomb anymore. That's why we celebrate Easter. He walked victorious from the tomb, victorious over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave, over Satan. I, I, he, he has victory in every area of life and we associate with him in the death because the sin factory, the cross of Christ dealt with me, the sinner, because we have been crucified with Christ. And I associate with him in his life because the life he lives, he lives to the glory of God and the life he lives is, is no longer ruled by sin, is no longer ruled by, by anything that the enemy can impose on him and so I associate with him in that life. I have a new identity. I have a new association in how I see my relationship with Jesus. Verse 11, he says, we've got to consider this. We've got to consider ourselves dead to sin. That consider, it's a Greek word which means reckon or reckoning. It's an accounting term. And I'm not the biggest fan of accounting. I like, I like the people who do the accounting for us at the church. Um, and I get the executive summary. And I've got to know enough about it to know what's going on. But if I had to get in and work QuickBooks or anything like that, oh, you'd have to come visit me in some psych ward. But here's what I know about accounting. You have to have matching entries. If you're going to debit something on one column, you've got to credit it in the other. So here's what we have to reckon with our life in Christ. We have to reckon ourselves dead in our old self. But there has to be a matching entry on the other side, which is to count ourselves alive in Christ. And we can't count ourselves alive in Christ without the death of our former self. It's got to have both entries. What happens is grace transforms our whole set of beliefs because we have to believe. I mean, we, we, we spend time talking about we believe that Jesus died on a cross. We believe that that he paid the price for our sin, and we believe he was placed in a tomb. We believe he rose on the third day, and we believe he has the power to transform our life. 
You see, grace transforms our belief set. So we start to believe that we can live the life that he's given us to live. We can believe that we can live this life in Christ. And, and I say this because we tend to start trying to manage our behaviors. I've said this before, and I will not stop saying this, that Christianity is not behavioral management. I can't manage my behavior to be a better follower of Christ. I have to be a follower of Christ and let things stem from the heart. I mentioned Ephesians 4. Let me, let me go there because he talks about some behaviors. Let me find it here. You don't have to turn there. But in Ephesians 4, um, Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See, Paul's talking about behaviors that he's saying put away, that when our old self is put away, there's behaviors that get put away. But the interesting thing is we have to have the transformation inside for those behaviors to change. It it reminds me of the story of a little girl who brought a a rose to her father. And this rose was just mangled. It was just destroyed. And she said, Dad, why is it that when I try to open the rose, it, it looks like this? It's ugly. But when God opens the rose, it's beautiful. And the dad thought about this for a minute, and he said, well, honey, I guess it's because God opens the rose from the inside out. You see, we spend too much time externally trying to manage behavior instead of God letting God opening us up from the inside out, because out of the abundance of the heart is how the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart is where my behavior comes from. When my heart is changed, my mind is renewed, and I, I, I think differently about who I am, I think differently about whose I am, and I start to behave in a way that reflects who I am and whose I am. And I start to live that identity. And, and, and then Paul finishes this out by talking about our potential. When he says grace changes our potential... Verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. If you've got your Bible and you write, you're writing in your Bible or you're underlining, you're highlighting, then you need to highlight this. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What, what does that mean? Um, we have the potential for great holiness. You see, I, even after we're saved, we have a great potential for sin. I've been walking with the Lord, I'm saved, I'm a new creation, and I still struggle with sin. And I have a great potential for sin. And let me tell you something, sin is a terrible master. 
when it has dominion over you, it's absolutely, it just wrecks you. But also, as a Christ follower, and because of emerging from grace, I have a great potential for holiness. I have a great potential for righteousness. So the question is, what's the balance here? How do I, how do I say no to sin and yes to righteousness? I believe it stems from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's who I'm, who, which self am I going to yield to, honestly? Am I, am I going to continue to remember my old self and I'm going to yield to that and keep trying to resuscitate and resurrect the old self because uh, I can produce better sin that way? Or am I going to let the power of the Holy Spirit continue to transform me and start to carve off those areas that are sin? Because here's the reality. This body, your body, it's neutral. Our body has the same potential for sin as it does the holiness. It's who is in control. And I would much rather let that potential be used up by the Holy Spirit for acts of righteousness and holiness. Because here's, here's what we see, that when we associate with Christ in life, that resurrection life is victorious. I can be victorious over sin. I have the power to say no to sin. I have the power to say, that's not who I am anymore. That's not even fulfilling to me anymore. I'm not going to go through that emptiness. Because when I sin, and when I willingly sin, here's what I'm doing. I'm willingly pouring out myself to something that will never fill me up. And when I say yes to the Holy Spirit, I'm letting Him pour into me that which will be eternally full. And I have the power to choose. The only, the only dominion sin will have in our life is what we give it. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about uh, God not tempting us beyond what we can bear. And I, I know we like to use that for situations like going through a difficulty and say, God will never give me more than I can bear. But the context is God will never let you be tempted to sin beyond what you can bear. So why do we do it? Because we give in ourselves. We stop yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because we're not emerging from grace. So the question comes out, why do we continue to struggle with sin? Why do I continue to struggle with sin? Because I still do. Here's what I believe. I believe that I fail to see who I really am and whose I really am. And I fail to understand and reconcile this, that I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. So when temptation comes, I can say, no, that's not who I am. That's not the life I'm going to feed. That's not the person I want to be. I'm going to let the behavior stem from the inside out so that I can avoid things that, that honestly send me back through the conviction and guilt process. Some of you are in spiritual bondage because of sin. And I'm really talking to two, two people here. You know, God looks at people and he says they're either in Christ or in Adam. And so you've either had an experience with grace and are in Christ or you're in Adam that you've never come to that grace experience. And I'm going to pray for us and, and we're going we're gonna to honor Jesus through communion this morning um, but before I do, I want us to pray because 
Some of us need an experience with grace. Let me back up. All of us need an experience with grace. For some, it's so the old self is killed this morning and the new life can be born. For some of us, the grace is the reckoning that I am dead. Who I was is dead. And there's a new life that is waiting to bud inside of me. And that God is desiring to open it from the inside out so that as I live, I live the way and the life that he's called me to live. And that's victorious. And I can walk away from sin. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for grace. Because it is grace that frees us. And you said in your word that it's, it's faith in you, that we place our faith in you. We believe that Jesus is Lord and we confess him with our mouth. You said we will be saved. You, you said that you are faithful to forgive us when we confess our sin. And God, all that happens through a process of grace. So by faith, we invite grace in today. And for those in this room this morning that that have never had a grace experience where the life that we live is no longer and you make us new, you fill us with your spirit. You seal us for the day of redemption. You bring new life inside of us. I pray for courage to that person right now in the quietness of their moment to say to you, Jesus, I need to die, but I need to live the life you've called me to live. And I need your grace. And I need the blood of Jesus to cover my sin. And I need your cross to deal with me. Here I am. Make me new. For everyone else in this room, I pray for the courage, God, that that in the quietness of their moment, they will say, Jesus, help me to live a life that doesn't abuse grace. Help me to live associated with your death and your life. And let me walk in this new life. Let me walk in this power. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with the power to live this life. And let us all walk away from this time today in your word associating and emerging from grace. We love you. We praise you. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus who bore the sin of the world and walked from a tomb victorious. In Jesus' name, amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.